against it. Forbidden. We do not like that word in our culture, do we? Especially when it's applied to one group and not another. Our human sense of fairness recoils at the very idea. But if you remember, the very first human sin involved rebellion and a forbidden activity. Hi, welcome to Verse by Verse. Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida, is leading us in a study of 1 Timothy chapter 2. The seven verses that uh, go from verse 9 through verse 15 have generated a lot of debate in the past few decades. In verse 11 of 1 Timothy 2, the Apostle Paul said that women are to be learners in the church, and then in the next verse that they are not to teach men or to have authority over them in the church. Does that mean women are second-class citizens? Certainly not. Nor does it mean that women are not free to share the gospel with a man or to teach children or other women. In fact, they are commanded to do so. So here's Pastor Steve now to help us see if we can get a better grasp of what these verses mean and what they don't mean. Now what is Paul saying? Now that we know what he's not saying, what is he saying? Verse 11. Let's look at it again. Let a woman quietly receive instruction with entire submissiveness. In other words, her activity in the church service is to be that of a quiet learner by voluntarily placing herself under the authority of male teachers. Let me say that again. Her activity in the church service is to be that of a quiet learner or a learner by voluntarily placing herself under the authority of the male teachers. That is really the heart of what Paul is saying. Now, the first thing that we ought to see as far as a woman's activity in the worship service, and this is very precious and we ought not to skip over this, is that women who worship are to be learners. Did you see that in verse 11? Let a woman quietly receive instruction. Many times we're so quick to pass over that and just get to verse 12, which says, I don't allow a woman to teach. But what Paul is saying is that her role may not be that of an authoritative teacher, but it is that of a learner. He's not just saying what she can't do. He's telling her what she should do. And what she should be doing is learning. Now, that's precious. The word for learn or to receive instruction is disciple. It is the Greek word for disciple. She is to be a disciple. She is to come to the church to learn. Women in worship are not to be teaching the men, but they are to be learning from the men. Now, this was a revolutionary statement in Paul's day. In fact, those who accuse Paul of bringing his rabbinical teaching to the scriptures don't know what they're talking about. Because if Paul brought his rabbinical upbringing and teaching to this portion of scripture, he would never say that because the rabbis didn't believe that women ought to learn about God in the service, in the synagogue. We understand from our previous studies in 1 Timothy that there was a great Jewish influence in this church, probably a mixture of of Gnosticism from the Greeks and, and Judaistic rabbinical teaching uh, from the Jewish people in the church. In fact, in chapter 1, verse 4, he speaks about not to pay attention to myths and endless genealogies. The genealogies obviously being the genealogies from the Old Testament. In verse 7, he says they want to be teachers of the law. They want to be esteemed rabbis. They want to be teachers, and that's what rabbi means. It means to be a teacher of the law, meaning what law? 
Well, not the Greek law, the Old Testament law. In Paul's day, contemporary Jewish thinking looked down upon women learning anything about theology. In fact, it's interesting for me uh, to find out this week I was looking up some secular uh, Jewish sources on this, and one man goes to great lengths to say, it is not true, he says, and I'm not quoting him, but this is the essence of, of thought. He said, it's not true that, that, the, that the rabbis and the uh, scholars said that women couldn't learn. He said, why? Why, back in the 1500s in Europe, there was a school that had women being taught about God. What's interesting to me is that in all these years of Jewish history, he can only find one school in Europe in the 1500s that taught women. Contradicts what he's saying. The Talmud, which is the rabbinical writing, said that it was better to burn the Torah, which is the law, the five books of Moses, than to teach it to women. Rabbi Eliezer writing in 90 AD, said this, and I quote, if a, if a man gives his daughter a knowledge of the law, it is though he taught her lechery. In other words, sexual lewdness. It's the same thing he said. She might as, might, as well, might as well teach her to be a prostitute as a teacher of the law. It's just what he's saying. Religious schools were restricted to boys, not girls. In synagogues, apparently there were two uh, services, one service had the liturgical worship, and it was open to men and women, and they could go and worship. But the second part of the service was when the scribes would do the teaching, and women and girls were not permitted, only the men and boys. According to one authority, he says, Jewish women were expected to make it possible for Jewish males to study Torah by raising, feeding, sheltering, healing, even supporting them. And I told you the other week about the film Yentl, which takes place a number of, of years ago in Eastern Europe when a, when a woman, a Jewish woman by the name of Yentl, has a great thirst to study not only the Old Testament but the Jewish rabbinical commentaries. And her father goes against all tradition and teaches her and they study. And she says to him that, uh, why, why, why do I have this? And I'm not supposed to study like this. And he says, Yentl, you have the soul of a man because women did not normally do that. So I want you to understand that while it was the rabbinical Judaism of Christ's day that said no women are to be taught in the public worship service, Paul says that they are, and Jesus not only said it, but he did it. Very interesting. Do you realize that Jesus taught women, and that was revolutionary? That Jesus not only taught women and included them in his audiences, but he even went to, to great length to include the things in his illustrations that would be familiar to women. Let me show you that. Matthew chapter 13. This will give you some great insight into the sensitivity and compassion of the Lord. And anyone, anyone who says that, that Christianity and, and the Lord himself and Paul were anti-women and degraded women really uh, have not done their homework. They don't know what they're talking about. Jesus was above everybody in his day when it came to the treatment of women. In Matthew 13, 33, we read this. He spoke another parable to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three pecks of meal until it was all Levin. He spoke a parable that would be understood primarily by women and would be familiar to them. In Matthew chapter 24, verse 41, 
He says two women will be grinding at the mill and one will be taken and the other one will be left. And we don't even need to go into the interpretation of this, which, by the way, is not talking about the rapture. The point here is that he the point that I want to make is that the Lord included the illustrations of women in his teaching in Luke chapter 15, verse eight. He says, or what woman, if she has 10 silver coins and loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? An illustration of women, something that a woman would certainly understand and appreciate. It was Jesus who specifically taught women. In fact, he taught and told the Samaritan woman in John chapter 4 things that he had not even clearly or or as directly told men. She said, I know that when the Messiah comes, he's going to tell us all things. And he said, woman, I'm telling you, I am the Messiah. Now, that is a bold statement to make. Never once did he make a statement as direct as that about his Messiahship in the Gospels. Now, he said that he was the Messiah, but never as directly as that. He explained to her the nature of true worship, the, the, the coming of, uh, of the Messiah, and the, the precious things of, of the Word of God to a woman. Would you turn to Luke chapter 10? This is just great. Luke chapter 10. This is a story of Martha and Mary. In Luke ta- chapter 10, verse 38, we read this. Now, As they were traveling along, he entered a certain village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister called Mary, who moreover was listening to the Lord's word, seated at his feet. So it must have been in the sense, and as he came in there, Mary sat down, the Lord began to teach, and she was just enthralled with what he had to say. But poor Martha, somebody has to make the meal, right? Verse 40, but Martha was distracted with all her preparations, and she came up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? Tell her to help me. In other words, Lord, I am slaving here. I need some help with these dishes. I need some some help here. And all Mary is doing is sitting there listening to you. What did our Lord say? It's just great. Verse 41, but the Lord answered and said to her, Martha, Martha. You know, whenever the Lord calls your name twice, it's as if he he puts your hand, he puts his hand on your shoulder and said, let me tell you something you need to hear. Let me, let me admonish you. He says, Martha, Martha, you're worried and bothered about so many things, but only a few things are necessary. Really only one. For Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. What he was saying is Martha, The priority, as far as I'm concerned, is not domestic responsibilities. As important as they might be, the priority is sitting at my feet and learning from me. It's not that he's saying a woman shouldn't be involved in making meals and doing things around the house, but he's saying if you have to make a choice, the priority is learning from me and learning the word of God as opposed to being distracted and all the food preparation, take in the spiritual food. That's the priority. Now, back to 1 Timothy. This is what Paul is saying. This is what Paul is getting at, that women are to be learners in the worship service. He totally went against the custom of his day. And I think that the contemporary church needs to learn something from this passage. 
There's a thinking that goes on in churches in our day and age that, that uh, says that the role of women is to take care of children in the nursery and to handle potluck dinners. You know, that is contrary to the word of God. That is contrary. Christian women are to be students of the word of God. Now, it's great if they also, you know, work in the nursery too. But maybe some of the men ought to work in the nursery as well. Ladies, you can leave your applause for later. They are to be disciples. Women are to learn the word of God. They are not to have the only role of being in the back with the children. They are to learn the word of God. They are to sit under the teaching in the worship service and to learn doctrine like Christian men learn doctrine. They are to be just as knowledgeable about tough theological issues as the men should be knowledgeable. And I appreciate it. And I I say this for the record. Whatever record it is, I don't know. But I appreciate it that our women's Bible study is not limited to teaching women how to be domestic engineers, but is to also make them disciples of Christ and is dealing with doctrinal issues. Now, I think that, that they are also, because Paul told Titus to tell the women to teach other women how to be godly women in domestic affairs, but I don't think it's limited to that. I think the women are to be involved in the study of the word of God as much as men are. And that's what Paul is saying. They are to be learners. Now, I want to say, uh, give a footnote here. This is not exactly the the point of the passage, but it relates to it. It's very important for us as a church that studies the word of God to know this. There are some people who would criticize a church like Lakeside for spending so much time studying the Bible. And they would say that when you get together in a worship service, it ought to be freer, it ought to be uh, doing your spiritual gifts, exercising them, or testimony time, or a lot of singing, or or some uh, liturgy that we go through, and the priority should not be teaching. But you know, according to this verse in Timothy, we learn from the early church, and the pattern of the early church was that when they met, they met to learn. Now, they met to sing as well, they met to give, they met to praise the Lord, but they met to learn, let the women receive instruction. Let the women learn, let the men learn. So worship and learning go together. And we ought not to forget that. And if someone criticizes us for that, we really have the authority of Scripture to fall back upon. How are women to learn? Verse 11 says, quietly and in silence. Now, what does this mean? What does it mean, quietly and in silence? With all submissiveness, he says. What does it mean? There are those who would tell us that the word that's translated quietly or silence means in a quiet demeanor. Maybe you've heard people say that. And what they're really saying is it's all right for a woman to get up and preach in the service as long as she does it with a meek and quiet spirit. It's all right, they say, for her to preach as long as she does it quietly, as long as she's not disruptive. Other people believe, and they go the opposite extreme, and they say that women can't say anything in the church. I mean, they can't even sneeze. When they come into the church, they say they shouldn't even talk to the person next to them. Women are to be silent. They can't give a testimony, they say. They can't sing in a church. They can't uh, ask questions, even if the pastor says it's all right for you to ask questions. Now, what's the correct view? Neither one of these are the correct view. Neither one. 
Paul isn't permitting women to teach if they just do it with a sweet spirit. That's not the point at all. And he's certainly not forbidding women to open their mouths in church. That's ridiculous. How do we understand verse 11? We understand it because Paul explained it and defined it in verse 12. What does he mean? Let a woman quietly receive instruction with entire submissiveness. He means this, but I do not allow a woman to teach. Now that answers the question of quietness or to exercise authority over a man. And that answers the question of what does it mean to be submissive? And he, he concludes by saying, but to remain quiet. Is he, and he gives that for emphasis sake. Verse 12 explains what he means. In teaching, they are to be silent. And in exercising authority over a man, they are to be not doing that. They are to be submissive. That's the point. Paul isn't forbidding women to sing. It's wonderful for a woman to sing. It's wonderful for a woman to give a testimony. I think sometimes women might take the liberty of trying to preach when they do that, so they need to be careful. But to give a testimony of what God has done in her life is certainly appropriate. To sing and give praise to God is certainly appropriate. To, uh, to even ask questions when we open it up for questions is certainly appropriate. He's not saying women are forbidden to utter a single syllable in the church service. He's simply forbidding women to assume the office of the public teacher. He is forbidding women to be elders. He is forbidding women to be preachers over men. He is forbidding women to be the public official teacher in the congregation. That's what he's forbidding them to do. Why? Because this would violate her God-given design, which is to, uh, to follow male leadership, not to rebel against it. That's why he will explain about Adam and Eve. Now, I want you to understand, this isn't to say that, that some women, um, that, or that all women, can teach. In fact, there are some women who are far better teachers than men. That is not the issue of how good they are. The issue is, what does the Word of God say? Women may have the gift of, of preaching. Women may have the gift of teaching. Women may even have the gift of leadership. The point of this verse is to say that these gifts are not to be exercised over men. They may be exercised with other women. They may be exercised with children. Titus chapter 2 says that women are to teach other women. They are commanded to do that. And in fact, 2 Timothy chapter 3 says, Timothy, you learned from your grandmother and your mother the Holy Scriptures. They built that into your life. So women are to teach women, and women are to teach children. Uh, that could be involved in women's studies. That could be involved in evangelism and proclaiming Christ. Nothing wrong for a woman to share the gospel with a man. Nothing wrong with that. Teach a Sunday school class of children or other women. And Paul isn't being hard on women at all. He is tenderly protecting a woman from entering a sphere of activity, which would mean leadership over men by which she was never created to enter. And so we want to we stop there because our time has run out. I just close with this. To say that it would be the height of hypocrisy for women to publicly teach men. Lenski, great Lutheran commentator, said this, no woman may step into the place of the man without violating the very word she would try to teach to both men and women. What he's saying is this, you can't have a woman teaching over men because that is hypocrisy. The very word that she's teaching tells her that she ought not to do this.
And so, ladies, we say that godliness is the issue here. And by your appearance, you demonstrate it. And by your activity, which would say that when you come to the church service, you don't come to teach, you come to learn, which means that there's a purity involved, there's a preparation involved for worship. You ought to come with the attitude of taking notes. You ought to come with the attitude of learning. You ought to come with attentive ears and hearts to take in the Word of God. Now, I know there are a lot of questions that people probably have about this, and we're not finished. We'll continue, and we'll look at other scriptures, and we'll try to answer some of the questions that might be on your heart and mind concerning this. Let's bow for prayer. Our Father, we are grateful that the Word of God is clear, and we want to be the kind of people that take the Word of God at face value. We don't want to skirt the issue. We don't want to be prejudiced. We don't want to be biased. We don't want to fit the Scriptures into our system of theology, but we want to be truth seekers. We want to come to the Word of God with open minds and hearts and certainly wills that are desirous of obedience. And so we pray, our Father, that what has been shared in the Word of God would be helpful in our church as we continue serving and loving you. Very grateful, Lord, that this congregation has godly women, pure women, women who really want to fit the the biblical pattern for godliness and purity in their own lives, women who do not want to usurp the authority in a church service. We just pray that you'll continue um, in that same way in our church, that, that our women would even be more godly than ever before, that they, by their appearance and by their attitude and, and attentiveness to learning the scriptures, might demonstrate how godliness is to be evidenced in those lives of women who profess to know you. Dismiss us now with your rich blessings and help us, Lord, as we've studied today about love and about this very issue in First Timothy 2. Help us to live out the principles we've learned because we've been with you. We've interacted today in the word of God. Now help us to be obedient. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Lord, help us, too, to absorb and apply the concepts that we've been learning. And not just the women. Men, too, need to come to church with the intention of learning and with an attitude of submission. This is Verse by Verse. It was a pleasure to have you with us today for another study of God's Word led by Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel. You can find out more about Lakeside at www.lakesidechapel.com. And if you're in the area on a Sunday, stop in and meet Pastor Steve. He would be delighted. You'll find Lakeside at 1893 Sunset Point Road in Clearwater, Florida. One significant ministry at Lakeside is their excellent Christian school, which covers kindergarten through 12th grade. The school is accredited by the Association of Christian Schools International and the Southern Association of Colleges and Schools. Find out more at lakesidechristianschool.org. Another ministry of Lakeside, of course, is this radio program. Verse by Verse is listener-supported, and we are deeply grateful to and for our supporters. We can't do this without the help and the prayers of folks like you. Our web address is www.versebyverseradio.org. Besides information on giving, we have a long list of previously broadcast programs that you can stream or download absolutely free. I hope you'll be able to make good use of those resources. The web address again is versebyverseradio.org. 
If you need to talk to someone about what you've heard on this program, you can email contact at versebyverseradio.org or call 727-239-0306. That's 727-239-0306. This is your announcer, Jerry Peterson. Next time on Verse by Verse, Pastor Steve Kreloff will go back over some previously covered verses, and we'll see that there is even more to them than what we have already considered. We'll reinforce some of the things we've already learned as we consider some of the ways that women can demonstrate godly character. You've been listening to Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. This program was pre-recorded. To learn more, including how to donate to this ministry, visit versebyverseradio.org. That's versebyverseradio.org. We're talking about overcoming fear through Jesus today. Maybe one of the scariest parts about fear is that it reminds us how not in control we are. And isn't it interesting how then we try to get that control back somehow so we can calm the situation and we'll feel better. And it's a weird kind of tragic folly that when we're afraid we tend to trust ourselves more